Hello and welcome to the Clutch Tennis Podcast. Uh, this week is the ATP Newport and Bastad events uh, and we'll be joined by Luke, who I believe has just arrived. So hello, Luke. Hello, Charlie. Yeah, so, so last week, obviously, over in Wimbledon, Grand Slam territory, um, it was a very eventful fortnight, actually, and I think we had a lot of success on this podcast. Um, normally, we, we start with a bit of a recap. Um, obviously, if, we, if we've done quite well, I'm quite keen to. So have we got one, Luke? Um, we do, yes. Um, a lot to cover. Um, I'll start by saying for the, for the Eastbourne and Mallorca podcast, because we, um, due, due to the final being played, we weren't sure how, how much profit we had. Sitzpass did win that final, so that meant we ended up with 3.5 units of profit there. Um, but for the last fortnight, Wimbledon, um, I'll start with our accumulators. Um, well, we, we all did pretty well, but sadly we both had uh, Dan Evans in our accumulator who did who did lose his match. Dan Evans is terrible and should retire from tennis. So, um, Yeah, so we, we both lost a unit there. Um, all the other matches we picked one, so we're eight, eight and one for picks there, uh, but sadly no profit to show for it. Um, regarding our outrights, I, th- I think I'm a bit cursed because on the podcast I went for um, Berrettini and then Chilich, and then they both withdrew due to COVID, and then we tweeted out again some some new outright picks as um, Charlie also had Berrettini, uh, and then. Um, well, we both went for Nadal, which who obviously withdrew in the semi, so that's also a void. Uh, and then my wild card was Bautista Gut to win his quarter, and then he withdrew. So I think I was just cursed. Um, however, Charlie's wild card was Nick Kyrgios at 25 to 1, who, of course, went on to make his first Grand Slam final, um, losing to Djokovic. So that's 11.5 units of, of profit there for that pick. And it means for the curious love finally coming through. Um, so overall, we're up 9.5 units for the fortnight. Um, we also had our tips of passes. We both had Alistair Gray to beat Seng, which won. So that takes me to eight and six and takes Charlie to seven and seven. Um, we also had a tips of pass challenge because it's a grand slam. Um, I had six wins, five losses, and Charlie also had six wins, five losses. So a tie there. Um, And regarding our five-unit challenge, uh, Charlie won that pretty convincingly, it must be said. Uh, He ended up on eight units, starting on five, obviously. And I ended up on 2.25 units. So all, all in all, then, uh, pretty pretty good week, really. And um, I don't, what was the what was the total profit in the end for for the the whole thing? Sorry, Luke. Um, for for the episodes, that's that's excluding the the challenges we had. It was nine point five units. That's again, that's a pretty big week. I mean, the slams are where we hope to pick up most of our our crumb. But um, I think I think that's a good week, really. Um, I think it would be a very different story without the the Kyrgios success which won't happen every time, but um, there you go. Anyway, so, so some nice betting success. And we also had a nice big discussion for, for anyone who did listen last week, um, just about the event in general. Anyway, this week is one of the dumbest weeks in tennis. Um, quite frankly, I was toying with the idea of just bidding this off because um, I, I this is probably my least favorite week on the, uh, on the ATP tour. And I mean that even more than when it goes into the, 
the really dire section just before the US Open. Um, because uh, th- this week is Newport over on the grass and Bastad on the clay. Uh, obviously, Bastad over in Sweden and Newport in the Hall of Fame event in America. So it's really strange for the uh, for the tour to to just jump over to America straight from the grass court swing before it moves back for a, a brief interlude on the European clay again and the European indoor hard circuit. So I'm I don't know. I never really understand this this part of the year particularly. And I really don't like weeks where there's events on multiple different surfaces, especially with stark contrast between grass and clay. A um, bit about the events. Uh, Newport grass is a, a pretty traditional grass court. Um, it's the Hall of Fame event, as I say. Um, it's normally pretty US favoured just because those guys obviously love playing at home. But it's normally pretty slick um, and then play, plays fairly well from from what I saw in the last few editions. Um, whereas Bastard is the exact opposite. It's a slow clay court. Um, tends to favour uh, either really explosive hitters or those who, who are a little bit more defensive, generally being down at sea level. Um, you get some beautiful views if you watch that live on tennis TV um, where they sort of pan around and see the, the sort of seaside right by where they are. Um, anyway, so that's that's this event, uh, the, the events this week, sorry. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of go straight into kind of what, what we're here to do this time. We won't have too much of a discussion about obviously what happened at Wimbledon because quite honestly, it was it was pretty much what everyone heard. Um, Kyrgios made the final out of absolutely nowhere. It was pretty, pretty sad to see Nadal withdrawing the semis and Djokovic won the whole thing. Bunch of people pulling out with injuries, COVID and other other things going on basically um which made the whole event a bit of a mess um but but overall i would say not too unexpected the majority of the results we saw um so so move, moving forward then um i had a little look through the the matches that lined up this week i didn't think any of them wildly excite me in terms of a discussion point um maybe sam query against andy murray i i think is an interesting one um if we go back a number of years. I, I believe it was Sam Query who beat Andy Murray at Wimbledon when he was um, just, just before he basically uttered words that resembled retirement from, from the sport. Um, and I think it was a very similar case for Djokovic actually as well. So Sam Query has got a, a lot of history on, on the grass uh, and he's a very dangerous player, but he's been out of sorts for a couple of years now. Um, whereas Andy Murray's starting to come back now. So I think that's going to be a really interesting one just to see how Andy Murray deals with such a big explosive player on, on a grass court and a slick grass court at that. Um, so danger there for Murray, but but an interesting one where I reckon he's he's favourite to come through. Um, other than that, I really didn't see a great deal of, of discussion points. Uh, Karatsev against Sinego, I won't go into it because it's actually in my accumulator later, but um, it's, yeah, I don't know. That That's an interesting one. I, Sonego, uh, who's been a bit better form lately, versus Karatsev, who can't buy a win, but is obviously a, a slightly higher pedigree um, at, at his ceiling level, I'd say. Um, but but yeah, no, nothing else that really springs out to me. So maybe over to you, Luke, if there's anything you wanted to bring up. Um, I just have, um, instead of a usual match of interest, I have a match of disinterest, um, which is Adrian Manorino against Max Purcell. Uh, Manorino coming at four to eleven favorite Purcell at eleven to five underdog. Um, what I'll say about this match is that if if you like watching under twelve tennis, then 
feel free to tune in. Otherwise, do not watch this match. Um, I, I watched this match on the on the first day of Wimbledon, um, as it was it, it was it was in the bet I'd, I'd placed, and it was honestly painful. Um, just the, the the amount of just hacking and just dreadful rallies. Um, it, it went to five sets in the end. Manorino eventually got it done. I think he'll win here, but please do do not watch this match. I agree. Uh, that was a terrible match, actually. I only saw part of one set, but I didn't really want to watch much more of it. Um, although saying that, I thought it was a terrible result for Manorino at the time. Then Max Purcell went on one of the doubles at uh, Wimbledon, so he must have been hitting the ball relatively okay, but... I don't know. To my eyes, it did not look good. So, yeah, maybe another painful one in store there. Although I think over three sets, I think Manorino might win it more comfortably. I, I don't know. Um, I think it was one of those where once you won a couple of sets at that sort of slow rally pace, it becomes a little bit difficult to adjust and continue winning. It becomes a bit more 50-50. It's hard to explain, but but that was sort of what, what appeared to happen to me. Um, so, yeah, no, so they're the pretty much main matches that we, we were going to go through. Um, now, for once, I'll probably roll off and just go through my my accumulator and wild cards. Um, as I say, it's not a wildly exciting uh, week in terms of the matches that are on offers. For uh, I've gone for a relatively small um, accumulator. I've only gone for a, a quad, a fourfold. Um, and what I've got is I've got... Uh, I believe it's two at each event. Uh, so I've got Steve Johnson to beat Stefan Kozlov over in Newport. Uh, that's an American obviously playing over on the grass uh, at his home home sort of area territory, if you will. Um, Steve Johnson's actually a very good grass court player. He actually impressed me quite a lot at Wimbledon. I did like the way he was hitting it. He took it to everyone. Uh, had a real battle with Dimitrov until he withdrew with injury. Um, then then dealt with his, his next round fairly comfortably, if I recall. Um, I believe it was Ryan Peniston. Um, so, so he's he's obviously striking it quite well. Um, and then on the on the flip side, obviously Stefan Kozlov is not an established grass court player. He lost in the final round of qualies, I think, um, and then got a lucky loser in and lost uh, first round to Schwartzman, um, who is also not a particularly great grass court player. Um, so, so all things is considered, you're looking at somebody who can't really serve like Kozlov um, and someone who can in Steve Johnson. And then you're looking at an established uh, grass court player and uh, attacking forehand slice backhand type game style against Stefan Kozlov, who is kind of just to poke the ball around and use the angles on a hard court. He gets away with it because it bounces a bit higher. Um, he, he's going to struggle to hurt, hurt Johnson on this, this surface. So I think that's actually good value there. Um, and that, as I say, I might have just said it in a decimal. I don't know if I just said what the odds were or not. Um, but it comes in at around about uh, one to three. Um, I've got him at 1.37 here, um, which is obviously decimal format. Um, I've also got Jack Sock uh, over in Newport as well to beat Radu Albot. Same kind of odds, one to three. Um, Jack Sock, is he had actually a very good Wimbledon as well. Um, lost eventually in the third round to Jason Kubler in five sets, um, who was playing inspired tennis for, for the fortnight. Um, and, and Jack Sock's an explosive guy. He's got a, a decent serve that holds up. It's not going to be easy to break. Um, and he was, he was doing well enough to, to sort of 
manufacture points from out of his backhand side to enable him to hit the forehand. And I think Radu Albot is going to give him cheap points here and there behind his own serve because it's it's going to be attackable um, rather than errors. Um, and, uh, and I just think Jack Salt's going to have too much too much class for him, uh, just given the way they've played. Um, Albot wasn't dreadful actually um, in the run up to Wimbledon, but he's he's just not the same the same caliber when when they're at their best. I don't think. Um, then we move over to the the clay over in Bastad. I've got Seb Bias to beat Arthur Rindanech at one to four. Um, now those odds aren't great. I'm not going to lie, but um, Rindanech should never be winning that kind of match on a slow clay court. Um, he's not going to get the cheap points behind his serve that he needs, and he would be favoured in one in five rallies. I would say he's going to break down before Bias, and barring one of those lights out displays where he just slaps winners which i haven't seen from him for a while actually um i i think seb Byers is just going to get it done he was one of the most informal clay quarters um moving out of the french open uh losing in five to zverev in the french um and i i just think it's a mismatch really on paper and then my last one is uh sonigo against uh karatsev which i believe i've got him down at one to two um and uh i, I think sonigo's value um, I, I, Karasev is, I looked at it, I think he's won three matches in the last like six months or something. Um, his, his last genuinely good run of fixtures was when he beat Murray in the, uh, the final of the, the run up to the AO, the Australian Open. Um, and since then he's, he's barely beaten anybody. And Clay, at the best of times, isn't his best surface. We know he can win on this surface because he went on, I think it was 16 matches in a row on the Challenger Tour. But that was a, that was a distant memory for Karasev. He's in a bit of a dark place right now, and Sonego's on the up. Uh, Sonego would probably say that Clay's his best surface. Um, he's capable on all surfaces, really, but um, he'd probably say Clay's his best. And I, I think, I don't even know how you define how to sort of break down this match. But but ultimately, I just think Karatsev's going to make too many errors behind the the weight of ball that Sonego's going to put at him. Um, and if Sonego uses his brain and doesn't actually sort of just sledge it into the back end of Karatsev, which which actually holds up to pace quite well, um, then then I think Karatsev's gonna gonna really struggle here. Um, especially if Sonego gets him moving and gets confident with things like changes of depth and, and drop shots and heavy balls to the back. It's it's gonna be a real a real tough day at the office for Karatsev. Uh now that fourfold is wildly uninspiring. Um and comes to a grand total of 2.26 to 1. Um, so worth it, in my opinion. It's good odds, but it's it's not going to break the bank. Let's put it that way. Um, so that's my, my my accumulator. And just touching on my wildcard, uh, not wildcard, sorry, um, touching on my uh, tips pass, um, I, I looked at it. I've actually literally just forgotten what it was, um, but it was over in Newport, and it was Jason Kubler. I remember that much. Um, it was Kubler to beat Jordan Thompson, just mainline uh, evens. Uh, I think both of these guys are Aussies who are who are decent on the grass. I just think Kubler's been been far better than Thompson uh, in in recent times, uh, in, in the last two weeks especially. So I, I think Kubler, if he continues his Wimbledon form, he should have too much for for Thompson, too much court craft, uh, too much ability to to when he gets that short ball actually actually really threaten and move forward in the court because um, he's got great hand skills. Um, and I think Thompson will, will get riled up 
by by just the ability of of Kubler to create something from nothing. So I think with the odd dodgy double fault or, or weak play from Thompson, which we've come to expect over the last years, I think Jason Kubler there is is a good tips pass for me. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with um, pretty much all that you've said. I'll just say that with the Senego Karatsev match, I I do think Senego will win. It's just I'm a bit scared of touching that match as both players are they there's a big gap between their their best and their worst. So if if Senego puts in a, a really sort of erratic display and Karatsev actually puts in a decent display for once, then I could easily see that match going the other way. But as you say, given Karatsev's form, I I don't see it happening. So that that should be fine. And and not not bad odds there at one to two. Um, well, also worth noting something that I just completely aired. Um, Karatsev hasn't hit a ball in a while because he's been banned from most of the cross court offence. And the ones he has played, he lost first round. So he's not for the last two weeks. Definitely not played a competitive match. I don't know about the week before either. So maybe not a lot of court time either. That that's true. Yeah, something to consider there. Um, I'll get to my accumulator. I have also got Steve Johnson to beat Kozlov at four to nine in Newport. Um, I was also very impressed by by Steve Johnson in in Wimbledon. Um, he's also he's a former champion here in Newport, so he has a bit of history at the event. As you say, Kozlov has very limited grass pedigree. Um, he was able to come through two matches on on the qualifying on the very slow grass courts in Roehampton, but then lost to Dennis Novak in the last round and then got in as a lucky loser, lost to Schwartzman in, in straights. Um, they, these guys actually played a few weeks ago on the grass in Queen's qualifying <laughs> and uh, Johnson double bageled him. It was, it was six love, six love. Kozlov couldn't even win a game. Um, so I, I expect a, a similarly dominant win for, for Johnson here. Um, I've got Andy Murray to beat Sam Quay at one to three in Newport. Um, historically, Murray's dominated matches against against the big servers. He's one of the best returners ever. I know he's not not the player he once was, but he's 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 still a good returner, especially on the grass. He's he's better than most, um, and he's shown it so far on the grass season. He's um, returned well against the likes of Sitsipas, uh, Kyrgios, and even Berrettini. You know, three players with with very big serves. Um, so, so yeah, I I just think he's going to get too many balls back um, for Cray's liking. He's going to force him to play too many rallies in his own service game, and and Murray's going to dominate most of those. Um, so I think Murray should be fine there at one to three. Um, moving over to Bastad, I've also got Sebastian Byers to beat Rindanech at two to seven. As you say, Byers has he's had a really good year. He's played a lot of clay matches and and, and won most of them. Um, he even got a few wins on the grass a few weeks ago, so he's he's got to be feeling confident about his game at the moment. Um, and as you say, on this slow surface, I think he's just going to extend the rallies too far. Rindanich isn't going to get as many cheap points on his serve and uh, and forehand as he as he would like. Um, and I think the buyer's court craft and movement is um, it's going to force too many errors from from Rindanich. And then my final pick is your tips pass actually. A bit risky, but I've got Kubler to beat Thompson at six to five, and that's in Newport. 
Um, I feel like in in Jack's absence, as he's the he's the leader of the Jason Kubler fan club, that I kind of need to um, step up and whack lyrical about Kubler. Um, he was he was unbelievable in, in Wimbledon. I was I was so so impressed. Um, he he just he destroyed Evans really. Um, I, I don't even think Evans played that badly. I think Kubler was just too good. He just didn't really he just didn't miss a ball, and he just kept hitting his spots with his forehand. And then he did it again and again in the next rounds. I, I saw a bit of his match against Sock in person, actually, um, on court 18. I watched the first set. He was very good again there. He's moving well, um, serving really well as well. Um, and, yeah, his, his serves much better than Thompson's. So I see Thompson having more problems um, with holding. I think Thompson generally just kind of lacks weapons. A bit less so on the grass, but... Even so, on the grass, definitely less weapons than Kubler. And as, as you said, I just think he's in he's in better form at the moment. This I don't think this is just a flash in the pan. I mean, he came through qualifying. I think he won a challenger, possibly two challengers um, in the weeks coming up. So it'll be interesting to see how Kubler does in this um, American hardcore swing. He's unlucky he didn't get any points for his Wimbledon round four run. Um, so yeah, got Kubler there at six to five. So that fourfold, uh, Johnson to beat Kozlov at four to nine, Murray to beat Query at one to three, Byers to beat Rindanech at two to seven, and Kubler to beat Thompson at six to five, comes in at 4.45 to one. And then my tip to pass is um, Johnson minus 2.5 games against Kozlov. I almost went for Kubler, but I've decided to go for Johnson yeah. instead. So, so we we've got a lot of a lot of overlap there, actually. In fairness, um, I actually completely forgotten about the Kozlov Johnson double bagel that elapsed my memory for some reason, um, but that's just even more substance to the fire, really. Uh, so that's moving on now to to outrights and wildcards. Um, again, I'll just lead out here um, for Newport. I've gone for for Andrew Murray, uh, Sir Andy, to to get the job done at six to one. Um, I do think he's looked good. I, I think this is the kind of event these days where if he's going to pick up a title, it's probably this um, on the grass back end of the season when the majority of the top players are, are absent. Uh, there's nobody in the draw that I can see that I don't think he could beat. There's obviously good names around, but um, but yeah, there's no, no one in it that, that I think is a definite sort of uh, difficulty for him to, to get through. Um, obviously, it'll be tough, but six to one is a good price. Uh, Bastad, I can't really look much further than than Casper Um I've got him. Uh, it's two point six three here, which is one point five to one, basically. Uh, so I guess that's five to two. No, that's that's not right. Um, three to two, I think. That's yeah, three to two. That's right. Uh, so that'll be Casper Ka- there to to win Bastad. I mean, we we know what Casper can do on clay. That's that's no question, really. Um, but then because of how like one-sided his odds are really in that event, um, it really does put the other guys out there a little bit more at a, a set of long odds, which opens the door to kind of each way uh, territory for a wild card. Um, now I'm in a bit of a bit of a confidence high, just going with the gut feel after the Kyrgios world card, I've got to say. Um, so I've done something similar here, to be honest, and I've gone 40 to one. Um, and I've picked a Dominic team. Something tells me this week is the week where he starts to make a little bit of a step back onto the tour. 
Um, he picked up a challenger win against a very able player in, in Misalik uh, the other week and took a set off for Kondo Bagnus. Now, they sound like nothing wins, and granted, they're not tour-level wins, but those two players are very, very... Well, Bagnus is an established clay court player. I don't know much about his form, but Bagnus isn't going to be far off kind of a, a top 50 player on clay. In fact, he is a top 50 player on clay. Um, if if you, you're then taking Misalik, he's an up-and-comer, won a couple of challenger tours this year. You're going to see his name on the on the ATP circuit at these 250 levels, picking up wins probably the next time that the clay swing comes around. So so they are they're good wins for Dominic team. Uh, and you've got to start somewhere. And I think for him, as soon as the confidence comes back, the ball will be rolling. He's got weaponry to hurt anyone, just about. Um, and uh, I just think that if it clicks for him in a couple of rounds in a row, who knows where it could go. And he's probably... The only player in that draw, other than Rublev, uh, who I would look at and say, your ceiling is high enough to beat Kasper Ruud. Um, so I haven't even looked at his draw position. I don't know if he's on the same side as Ruud or not. Um, but I, I, I just think that it's it's worth the punt. Um, who knows? Hey, it could could happen. It could lose first round pretty badly. Um, if I recall, his first round is, is relatively tight. Um, Rusevoy, who I think on the clay, he's got a decent shot against. Um, and then I'm just looking at the draw now. He's actually on the same side as Rublev, not Rude. Um, so he's probably on the better side for him. Saying that, he would have to play Seb Byers, which I really don't like the odds of him having to hit through somebody like that. But um, I don't know. We we give it a chance, eh? Have a, have a go with it. 40 to 1, bit of fun. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair enough. Um, at, at 40 to 1, that's... For someone of his quality, as you say, if he turns it on, he can he's got quality to beat anyone really. Um in terms of my outrights, um, I'll start with Bastad. I've gone for Sebastian Byers at twenty to one. I was surprised he was this long, really. Um he's already won a title this year in Esteril. As I said earlier, he's won a ton of other matches on the surfaces. Um I think he is capable of beating the the bigger names in in the events. I mean, he doesn't have the weaponry of of of, of a lot of the guys, but you know, but he, that's not how he, how he wins his matches. Um, and I think his, his draws all right. Um, Rindanech, as we say, Derek Fakina could be tough to be fair in round two. Um, but then um, poss- possibly Batista Gut in the quarterfinals or maybe team. Um, but Batista Gut's just had COVID, and in my opinion, Clay is his worst, worst surface. Um, and yeah, I just think twenty to one is is pretty good price there. He's in the opposite half to Rude, so stick that on each way, and you never know. Um, in Newport, I have gone for the man of the hour, really, Tim Van Rijthoven, um at eight to one. I feel like he's gone a bit kind of under the radar recently about how just how good he's been on the grass. Um, he got a wild card into Sotogenbosch. Um, in his home event, he beat Ebden, Fritz, Gaston, Elja Aliassime. And then the final, he beat Medvedev 4-1 and one to, to win the title when he'd never won an ATP match before. He then got, a, quite rightly, got a wild card into Wimbledon. Um, about the only decision there, All England Club got right over the last few weeks. Um, then beat uh, Delbonis, Apelka and Baslashvili to make it to the round four, just dropping one set. Um, and then he took a set of Djokovic in the fourth round. Played really well there. Um, 
if you don't know much about him, he's got a very good serve. He's, he's pretty aggressive, um, has power off both wings, um, has a has a one-handed backhand, very, very nice to watch. And he comes forward well as well to, to finish off points. Um, and judging by the way he played against Djokovic, he, I don't think he's going to be intimidated by anyone. Um, I think he's capable of beating any, anyone at this event. And he, he's already won a title this year. Um, my wild card is also in Newport. It's actually who Van Rijven plays in his round two match. If he wins, that's Maxime Pressy at nine to one. I think he's the other big threat in that half, other than maybe Isner, maybe Benjamin Bonzi. Um, Cressy is, is a rare breed. He's pure serve and volley. You don't really see that much of that these days. Um, but he looked very good in Eastbourne. Uh, made the final there. Um, to beat the likes of uh, Dan Evans and Cam Norrie, I think, and Jack Draper. Um, so all the Brits. Um was serving well. He's got a very big serve, and he's he's a big guy. He's just got a very big reach, which makes it very hard to to pass him, especially on the grass where you're going to get you're not going to get as much time on on your passing shots as you would on a on a slow surface. Um, and he's been volleying well as well. So those Van Rijven and Cressy that are the two names I see making the final there. And if you stick them on each way, that's about about four to one for Van Rijven, four and a half to one for Cressy to reach the final. Um, so if, if one of them makes it, then you're, you're in decent profit there and they'd, they'd have a good shot at winning, winning the final. Yeah, um, I, I really don't know much about Van Rijthoven. I watched his final against Medvedev and I wasn't sure how much of it was Van, him being really good and Medvedev being terrible. Um, but then obviously he's followed it up with a good run at Wimbledon. So he's, he's clearly got gla- uh, grass pedigree. Um Chrissy, no words need to be spoken. I don't like the man, and I don't think you do either. Um, he's interesting to watch, but you you can't bet on him right, other than maybe an outright is the only time when you maybe can. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm cursed with that guy, so I just can't be asking him anymore. Me, me too. He'll probably... Well, if he loses his first match, then Van Rijven goes through, unless he loses to a qualifier. So. Yeah, so... Uh... I don't know. It's tough to predict Maxime Cressy at the best of times. The, the Div 2 college player back in the day. Not even Div 1. Sums him up. Um, but yeah, no, so that, that's Bastad and, uh, and Newport this week. Um, don't don't get too excited with this week, folks. It's it's really not going to blow you away. It's always a bit subdued after after a slam. I almost think that they should just have a week where there's no tour events and, and have the Challenger Series taking priority a little bit. But um but they never do. So onwards and upwards. What do you know what the schedule is looking like moving forwards, Luke? I actually forget what happens at this point in the year because it goes a bit flat for a few weeks. Yeah, Ju- July is usually a bit of a lean month after Wimbledon ends. Um, so we've got, well, next week we have the, the 500 events in Hamburg on the clay and um, Gestad as well on the clay. There's, there's a few big names in Hamburg. I think Alcraz is playing. I think Riblev amongst a few others. Um, and then kind of after that, we're uh, alongside a couple of other Claire events. We're into the US hard court swing with Atlanta and then Kitzbühel and Umag as well. On the Claire. Yeah, because I, I always forget like um, at what point of the year we, we start to get the kind of hardcore um, masters coming back. Because you get, you get Montreal at some point, you get Cincinnati the week before the US, I think it is. Um, obviously Paris is the last one of the year after the US 
Um, I, I just forget, especially Montreal. I've never actually actively watched that event ever. Um, so I, I know nothing about it and I don't know when it is. Yeah, well, I mean, up, up after that, just quickly. So you've got August is, is quite packed. So you've got the 500 in Washington at the start alongside the 250 in Los Cabos. Um, then you've got the Masters in Montreal. Then the week after, you've got the Masters in Cincinnati. Um, then you've got uh, the Winston-Salem 250 or a week off for most of the top players. And then right at the end of the month, you've got the US Open. So a lot a lot of high-quality tennis, hopefully, will be played in August. So we've got that to look forward to. Sorry, I just spoke with my mic muted as per. Um, I was saying, so presumably uh, Vienna and then all the other hardcore events that come, like, uh, uh, I think, no, we've had St. Petersburg already this year, haven't we? Uh, but the other hardcore events, uh, they all come after the US, don't they? Well, I don't, I'm pretty sure Russia's not hosting any events due to the the conflict. But yeah, that, events like Vienna near, right near the end of the season, the sort of indoor. Yeah, that, that would make sense that they're not obviously going to host those events. Um, but I, I could have sworn it was earlier this year because I remember watching Riley Opelka beat um, Medvedev. Or was that last year? I think that was last year. Oh, it's all blending, all blending. Anyway, we're going off piste. Um, so so thank you, Luke, for, for joining me this week for the, the Newport and Bastard events. Thanks, Charlie. No, and um, feel free to give any of our tips a follow. Follow our Twitter at Serving Up Clutch, um, and we'll be back again in a week's time for for some more tennis. <laughs>